Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. The thwack of the ball hitting a catcher's mitt and a baseball landing in the left field bleachers at spring training parks will remain a distant memory for the time being. The boys of spring may have to wait for summer as Major League Baseball's lockout continues. Many baseball fans were looking forward to the return of normality as COVID hopefully fades into a rearview mirror. But area ballparks from Dunedin to Lakeland to Port Charlotte remain silent as owners and players' reps haggle over, what else? Money. Santiago Carrada is president and CEO of Visit Tampa Bay. He says it's not clear what the impact of not having spring training will have on the greater Tampa Bay region. It's a piece of the puzzle that's missing, but how big of an impact it's going to have on us as a destination is still probably to be seen. You have to be sensitive that maybe some people who work at those facilities during spring training are not working. So in a smaller destination, huge impact. For us, there's an impact. How huge, we still have to see. But those businesses, those people that are relying on spring training are going to be hurt by the fact that spring training is not happening. In just a bit, we'll talk about the future of the Tampa Bay Rays now that their lease at Tropicana Field runs out in five years. We'll talk with Hillsborough County Commissioner Ken Hagen about a new report that looks at the impact a new stadium in Ybor City would have. First, we'll look at the latest hiccups on spring training and moves to keep the team in St. Petersburg. John Romano is a sports journalist and columnist with the Tampa Bay Times. We're talking to him via Zoom. All right, so let's start off with spring training. We'll get into the race situation just a little bit. You know, this is February, and spring training is supposed to be starting, and the games have been called off for at least, I don't know, at least a week here. What is the latest situation on spring training? Well, the owners and players are supposed to get together for some more bargaining sessions in uh, Jupiter, Florida this week. As you said, the first week of spring games were called off. They were, they were whacked last week. Um, so if there's no progress in the next few days, you can assume that the second week of games would also uh, be called off. There, there hasn't been a lot of optimism up to this point, but really, I, I think this thing is starting to get near its end. It, it looks like the, the Players Association has backed off a lot of the demands that would have sort of changed the system, the fundamental structure of the system. So now they're just talking about dollar figures. And, and I think at that point, you're, you're going to start to see some movement where they, they start to find some common ground. All right. So most fans have no idea why this lockout is happening. But, you know, as usual, it's all about money and who gets it. Can you just give us a brief description of what the big sticking points are here? The last few uh, agreements between the players and the owners have definitely shifted toward the owner's side. Uh, players are making less, even though players are making millions and millions, they're making less than they were five years ago. So the players had made it clear that they wanted some changes, which is why the owners instituted a lockout, because they didn't want the players to be able to strike in the middle of the season when it would cost everybody more money. 
younger players have gotten better chances on rosters because play, uh, owners can set their salaries. So the players want a system that doesn't wipe out their middle class, which is what we've had the last few years. Now, you have written, the only real problem baseball is facing today is figuring out a system that creates a balanced playing field that gives every team an equal chance to win, and one that does not penalize smarter teams. Like the Rays, right, who have done a lot more with a lot less, and the Rays probably have a lot more to lose if some of these ideas went forward. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, what I was just talking about with the younger players, the Rays have figured out a way to con- to uh, make over their roster almost every year. They're completely, not completely, but they're constantly uh, changing their roster, bringing in younger players, moving their veterans once they start to make real money. Um, so they've been able to keep a lower payroll and still succeed. What the players want is to sort of take away that ability to pay these younger players, guys that have only been in the league one, two, or three years, they get dirt salaries, you know, comparatively speaking, the the minimum salary is around $600,000. Okay, I'd settle for that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the players want to change the system so that the teams like the Rays cannot abuse younger players, essentially. In, in the Rays' mind, they're not they're not abusing anybody. They're, they're working within the system that's there. You know, with uh, COVID finally winding down, hopefully, a lot of people were really looking forward to spring training and getting back to some sense of normality here. How disappointing is all this for baseball fans? It's needless, um, and and that's the disappointing part. Um, You're you're talking about an industry that uh, had $10 billion in revenues last year. You know, the owners... They, sh- they should have been able to come up with a, a better plan than what they offered the players. There's no reason to, to antagonize fans and to wipe out two months of, of what is a fun part of baseball. You know, the, the offseason is a, is a great time for a lot of fans as they watch teams make trades and free agents go from team to team and you watch your roster come together and all that's been wiped out. All right. What, what hasn't come to an end is the debate over the future of the Rays. Uh, their lease runs out in five years at Tropicana Field. Now, last week, uh, New St. Pete Mayor Ken Welch floated the idea of building a new ballpark on the site of Albert Wooded Field. He kind of said it's still in the mix. If he had his druthers, he'd rather have green space. But um, you called the Albert Wooded site catnip. I love that phrase for every new mayor that comes into the city. You know, a few years ago, the race floated a plan to build a similar ballpark just right down Beach Drive at Al Lang Field. That went over like a lead balloon, right? So how would this be any different? That, that's a good question, actually. Uh, St. Petersburg residents have been loath to change the waterfront. I mean, you, you saw what happened when we talked about renovating the pier a few years ago. That took forever. It took several mayoral administrations. So the idea of building a ballpark on the waterfront is, is going to be a challenge. The Rays loved the idea of Albert Witted as a site. 10, 15 years ago, but they sort of gave up on it because they could see that there was very little um, momentum toward changing the waterfront and very little momentum toward getting rid of that airport. The mayor has sort of opened up this new idea, new a new administration coming in, talking about the fact that Albert Witted, and, and in my mind, Albert Witted is the most grossly wasted space for waterfront in America. 
And, and I think every mayor has thought the same thing. You go back to Rick Baker. Rick Baker wanted to shut down runways. Rick Kreisman talked about, you know, the airport not being great use of that land. And now uh, Ken Welch is coming in and saying, Let, let's have this conversation again. And to answer your question, the only reason that I think it might work is that we are 20 years removed from the last time Albert Witted came up in a referendum. St. Pete's demographics have changed. Um, lots of younger people moving in. Perhaps attitudes have changed as to whether, you know, this tiny airport that serves less than 1% of the population of St. Pete is the best use for this pristine, wonderful plot of land. You had the same problem that they had at the Al Lang site, which is it's kind of on a dead end, backing up into the water, hard to get to, where are you going to park, right? Those issues have not changed. Correct. I think the way the Rays are looking at it is, first of all, they, they, they want the stadium to be a destination kind of thing. It's, it's not just going to be baseball. It's a, it's a destination. You, you, know, you build restaurants and bars out there and things like that. People want to get there more than, than just going to a ballpark. They want to be around the waterfront, much like you see in San Francisco with their stadium. And I think Stu Sternberg is looking at this as a 30-year kind of solution and the thought that we need all kinds of space for parking lots and things like that are no longer net are not going to be necessary 30 years from now that ride shares and and mass transit and things like that will alleviate a lot of those problems i i think that's the the larger point of the plan is that our habits are going to change over the next 30 years yeah, I think that's part of the discussion about maybe keeping them at the Tropicana field site, surrounding them with this development that would pay for itself. Is there any financial sense to building a new park at Tropicana Field? It's still in the mix. I mean, after all, the attendance issues would still remain. Well, from the city standpoint, it makes tremendous financial sense because you've got a giant plot of land there and you've got revenue streams that are already there. You've but it's much easier to build there than to build in a lot of other places. From the Rays point of view, that plot of land has not worked well for them for 25 years now. They say they'll have a hard time convincing Major League Baseball. You know, a, a new stadium is going to goose attendance. It always does. The question is whether it's sustainable. You know, once, once that newness, the first two, three years of a stadium wears off, is it, are you going to go right back to the same sort of crowds that you had uh, the previous decade? Right. So the attendance issues and the population densities is what's driving the conversation for them possibly moving into Ybor. You know, the study just came out about building a new site at the K4 site on the edge of Ybor City. John, what's your gut feeling about them moving into Ybor? you think it's going to happen? You know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen at this point. I, I, I My gut has... Uh, has gone through so much over the last 20 years of, of different stadium ideas that I'm, I'm not sure there's any uh, instincts left in there. You know, it's, it's going to take a lot of money. And I, I don't know that the money exists to get it done. I know the Tampa Sports Authority just came out with their study that you can build a full season stadium there for less than a billion dollars. Um, that would be with a fixed roof, though. And... You know, right now, Tropicana Field is the only fixed-roof stadium in Major League Baseball. I don't think they like the idea of a fixed-roof stadium. 
Um, I personally think the TSA study is a little optimistic in terms of price. I think it's going to cost more than that. Uh, the last Major League Baseball stadium built in Texas cost $1.2 billion. And, you know, that was a few years ago. Prices are, are only going up. So if you're talking about a stadium under a billion dollars, you're talking about a cheap stadium. And then, and then you're going to ask the Rays to pay for over $400, $500 million of that. And they have not shown any interest in that. You know, uh, it's going to be tough getting a lot of politicians on board as well as the taxpayers. And there's been talk of a new spring training complex being built in Pasco County as part of this deal. Is that some kind of sweetener to get some of the local politicians, like maybe the Senate president who comes from Pasco, on board with us? Well, well, that would be a very astute observation. Um, I think that's absolutely what, what we're seeing. If, if they want to get any money from the state to build a stadium... It wouldn't be a bad idea to get some powerful politicians on your side. And we just happen to have some in Pasco County. And uh, that could work out well for all sides if, if it works that way. All right, John, just final question here. Uh, what you got feeling about the future of the Rays? Do you think there's enough public taxpayer support to keep them here? Or are they going to Nashville, Vegas, Charlotte, somewhere else? Well, and, and when you say public taxpayer support, we've got to um, sort of parse that a little bit. They, you know, Mayor Castor is not talking about taking money out of your pocket. That All the money they're talking about for a stadium is going to be, you know, from uh, TIFs, uh, tax increment financing, and, and the businesses around a stadium, their monies, and uh, perhaps tourism tax dollars where they'll put a tax on rental cars or hotel nights or things like that. So it, it's not like Raymond James where they're going to be reaching into the pockets of homeowners. But having, having said all that, it's still a ton of money we're talking about. And you're still going to have to convince uh, county commissioners and city council members um, and then their constituents that it's worth spending, even, even if we take tourism dollars, that it's worth putting $500, $600 million into a baseball stadium. And then you've got to convince the Rays that they're going to make enough money that it's worth their while to put $500 million into it. All of that seems to me like a hard sell. Um, you know, I, I think there are cities like Nashville, as you mentioned, that are out there that have a lot more corporate support. That's the problem with the Tampa Bay area is we don't have a whole lot of corporations. The Rays are selling their tickets one at a time to you and me and, and your neighbors. You need corporations coming in, buying gads of, of season tickets, and we just don't have that. A city like Nashville has more of that, and that's going to be really appealing if this doesn't get figured out by the time the Rays lease runs out in 2028. All right, John Romano is a journalist and sports columnist with the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks so very much for being on Florida Matters. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're talking about the future of Major League Baseball in the greater Tampa Bay region. After this short break, we'll talk with Hillsborough County Commissioner Ken Hagen about how maybe, just maybe, Ybor City could become the newest home of the Rays. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. A new report commissioned by the Tampa Sports Authority shows a full-season baseball stadium for the Tampa Bay Rays could be built in Ybor City for about the same price as a similar proposal unveiled in 2018. 
Hillsborough County Commissioner Ken Hagen has been working with the Rays for over a decade to see if a hop across the bay for the team is feasible. He joins us now via Zoom. Commissioner, welcome to Florida Matters. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, so you've long been active in the search of to find the Rays a new home in Hillsborough County. Um, you know, with this new study coming out about the proposed stadium at the K-Force site in Ybor City, it seems to me that we've been down this road a few times already, right? Uh, there was a similar $800 million plan, $800 million plan a few years back for a part-time stadium further south in Ybor City. And that kind of went nowhere. Do you feel this time around is different? Absolutely. And you're right. I have been on this journey for a little over 12 years now. And I know the Rays have been pursuing a new ballpark for even longer than that. But I first got engaged back in, I think, January of 2010. But um, you're correct in that we have gone down this path before. Uh, regarding an Ybor City site. Um, however, a lot has changed this time around. And I can tell you, first of all, why Ybor City? Uh, that's the location that the Rays identified uh, several years ago when we first sat down. Uh, we had probably eight to 10 different locations on the table, and it became apparent very early on that the Rays uh, felt very strongly that Ybor City, for a number of reasons, allows the, uh, allows the team to uh, really be as successful as it possibly can be and, and be sustainable for, for decades to come. Before we get on that, if you could kind of go into the reasons why they believe that Ebor is it the, the proximity to the population, the, I guess the interstates there, right? They kind of converge right there. What's what's the reasons for that? Well, it's it's a number of reasons. Um, probably the main one is uh, the, the model or the paradigm that Major League Baseball uses is population within a 30-minute drive time to and from the ballpark. When you move, when you put the ballpark in in Ybor City, you more than double the population from the current site at Tropicana Field. The numbers reflect that gives them the best opportunity to be successful. That, and it was important for the Rays to be in an urban environment. Most of your recent ballparks, not all, but most of them have been in a downtown or urban environment because it allows for the walk-up traffic. You've got, you've got all the businesses that are around there and the Rays do fine during the weekends. Uh, they could they could make it and be sustainable the weekends, but it's that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday game that they really struggle in getting attendance, might get five, six, 8,000 fans. So based on that, based on the historic nature of Ebor, the Rays really liked that. They like the, the transportation options and the access just for a number of reasons. Being in an entertainment district really um, provides the team the best opportunity um, to be successful. All right. So what has changed since the, the 2018 plan kind of went down down the rabbit hole there? Uh, that didn't really get much support. Uh, but what's different this time around? Okay. Well, essentially what happened last time is that the Rays, we had told the Rays from the very beginning that the best that we could hope for and our goal was to have a 50-50 split with respect to a financial package. Well, the Rays did not include us in any of their modeling and any of their design. They've got the best architectural firm in the world, Populous, and the team did their own thing, which is their priority. There's nothing wrong with that. And then they presented the design, which was beautiful, beautiful facility. I want to say it was in June, June or July of 2019. Well, that gave us very little time because the 
the uh, the uh, extension that the Rays received from St. Pete expired in December of 19. So we had a few months uh, to come up with a model, which we did. We sent it to Major League Baseball's commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred. We sent it to the Rays. It was a 50-50 split. There were some uh, loose ends, some T's that need to be crossed, some I's to be dotted, admittedly. But it was a, a legitimate, credible proposal. And essentially, the Rays took their ball and went home. At that point, they were not willing to put in at least half of the funding in order to, you know, in order to partner with this project. So that occurred. Fast forward a little bit later, uh, we sat down with the team. I want to say it was uh, February or March of 2020, and it was the very best meeting that we had ever had. Mayor Castro was in the room. Uh, we had Mr. Sternberg, Mr. Silverman, Brian Ald, uh, Sports Authority, and we walked out of there saying that. Uh, we were going to have a, a deal by the end of the year. The Rays had dramatically changed their approach. For instance, they had, for the very first time, admitted that they knew that they were going to have to put in at least half of the, of the funding. Uh, they said they were going to be much more transparent, more open. And again, we walked out of there fired up, believing that uh, you know within a few months, by the end of that year, that we were going to have a proposal. And then two weeks later, COVID hit. And that essentially shut everything down. They were reluctant to, to meet, to do anything because of, uh, because of all the protocols and because of risk of, of, of infecting their players. And so things essentially shut down until, I'd say, the fall of uh, 2021, when we again started meeting again and discussing again, um, moving forward again in Ybor City. Uh, the site had changed a little bit, but still in that Ybor City district. And the one thing that really didn't sit well with me was while their approach had dramatically changed, they uh, were going to focus on a, a smaller ballpark. All that was fine, yet they still ha were pursuing the split city proposal, which I and our outside council and a few others really had a hard time with. So that's kind of how it changed. Same area, but a smaller ballpark, and the Rays have committed to putting in at least half and being much more transparent, which they've been. I want to make sure I stress to that. Over the last six, eight months, our team has met with their architectural firm, Populous. We've met with their design folks, their transportation folks. We've met with Goldman Sachs, their financial uh, consultants. So their approach has been dramatically different. They hired a lobbyist for their very first time ever. Uh, they were the only franchise, only professional franchise in the state of Florida that did not uh, have a lobbyist. Uh, they've been pursuing state dollars for infrastructure around the ballpark. So again, it's the same location, but so much has changed this go around as opposed to the initial bid, if you will. All right, Commissioner, there's been talk of some creative ways to help pay for a stadium rather than taxpayer like we did with the uh, community investment tax for Raymond James Stadium, which I think we're still paying off 30 years down the road. So these community investment districts, uh, they call it a, a ballpark district, would basically freeze the property taxes that goes to the city and state at the current levels and any future increments will go to this district? Is that the way that works, basically? Yes and no. Um, from, the, from the outset, again, 12 years ago when I, when I started on this, I've always stressed that, number one, protecting the taxpayer is paramount. That's the most important thing that we can do here. We're not going to have another sweetheart deal that's happened uh, in the past. And I've also said that uh, we're going to do everything we could to be creative as far as our side of the ledger, if you will, and primarily util utilize user fees. But at the end of the day, I've stressed that you know the devil's in the details. And from the outset of 
going down this path. There've been folks that I've wanted to kill it, wanted to just do everything they could uh, for no reason other than the fact that what's happened in the past. And I've simply said, hey, hold off. Let's wait and see what the proposal is. If it's a bad deal, I'll be the first one to lead the charge to shoot it down. But let's see what we can come up with. And I believe while we haven't seen the actual numbers or projections yet, I believe that it's going to primarily be utilized by user fees, by perhaps tourist tax dollars that are paid primarily from from tourists that have a very narrow statutory uses, how that money can be can be spent. Uh, for ballparks or, or one of them. That's how we've been able to pay for some of the improvements to Raymond James and Steinbrenner Field and Emily Arena because those dollars cannot be used for law enforcement or fire rescue or libraries. They have a very narrow usage. The, that model, in addition to what you identified, which really what you describe are more of the, the you know, community redevelopment areas or CRAs, where yes, you do freeze the property tax revenue and then property tax rates and then any dollars above that uh, must, again, must be spent in that particular zone. So it, it's not like uh, those monies can be used to to finance a, a fire station in Sulphur Springs or a library somewhere else. They have to be used there. And those are ideal dollars, potentially for infrastructure, that, that can be used there. So when you couple tourist tax dollars, uh, CRA dollars with user fees, in that we will create an entertainment district or ballpark district and any Coke or beer or hot dog or, or T-shirt that's purchased in that area, those dollars, a percentage of those dollars would go to finance the, the ballpark. Well, you just mentioned infrastructure as well. Uh, you know, as you know, a big part of the problem is getting to and from the stadium. Uh, how would mass transit factor into this? There's a trolley line not too far away. Do you foresee some kind of uh, extension of that trolley line and some other kind of infrastructure improvements? Absolutely. I think that's a critical element uh, when you when you couple that with uh, Brightline that, again, not, has not been finalized, but I believe the station will be very, very close uh, to where the ballpark is. I think you'll have, I can foresee uh, one day in the future, potentially have ferry service that would come close to the area in, in the channel side area. Again, there used to be a model that per, let's say, 30,000 seats, you needed to have X amount of parking spaces. Well, that model's dramatically changed because of ride sharing, Uber and Lyft, things like that. So there'll be Uber zones or ride sharing zones that folks can get in and out of. So there'll be a lot of creative ways in addition to bike lanes and, and trails and things like that, uh, which we're pursuing infrastructure improvements, irrespective of if the ballpark goes or not. All right, Commissioner Hagan, as an elected official, you have your finger on the pulse of the community. What's the popular opinion out there? Do you think people are willing to maybe part with a little bit of taxpayer money for this? Is there a real hunger to keep the team in the Tampa Bay region? I believe there's a strong will and desire to keep the team in Tampa Bay. While the attendance has been anemic, the TV ratings, the radio ratings are through the roof. That being said, I don't believe there's any appetite at all for taxpayer dollars funding any ballpark for any any professional team. And that's not just for Tampa or Hillsborough County. I think that's consistent throughout the country in, in whatever uh, city or county that you're in, whatever state you're in. Again, regardless of the of the political leanings of the, the city or state, I think that's a fairly consistent uh, belief throughout uh, the country. And that's why I've stressed from the beginning, we're going to protect the taxpayer. There's going to be creative 
sources that are used. But again, I always stress, hey, let's see what the final proposal is uh, before we weigh in or, or object to anything. But I don't believe there's there's support anywhere for general revenue dollars to be utilized for, for a ballpark. Ken Hagen is a commissioner with Hillsborough County. He's been dealing with the Rays situation for a very long time, and we appreciate all your, your thoughts and comments on this. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you kindly. I enjoyed it. And that's it for today's show. Our thanks to John Romano, Ken Hagen, and Santiago Carrada. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Denora Prevost. You can catch up on our recent shows and the latest news from Florida Matters and WUSF via Twitter, Facebook, and our WUSF Instagram page, or by podcast so you can listen to us anytime you want. I'm Steve Newborn. We'll catch you next week on our next edition of Florida Matters.